Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. Good evening, James. Good evening, Andrew. It's Arscast After Dark. Yeah, it's a late one because... Uh, a sexy one. <laughs> I don't know about that, but... <laughs> That's t- TBC. We'll find out about Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. You, you've been uh, busy all day. I know you don't like to talk about this, but you have been away, uh, I believe, filming on the new Star Wars franchise. It's uh, top secret stuff. It's... It's called Yoda's Houseboy, and you are the houseboy. Nobody thinks about how Yoda ever got his groceries. You're no. that guy. Yeah, I, listen, I've signed a lot of NDAs. I'm not supposed to talk about it, but I guess, yeah, I, I'm Yoda's houseboy. <laughs> and Yoda's there. He's ordering me around with his funny little voice, you know. Yeah. Feet you, Rab. Stuff like that, and I'm doing it for him. That, I mean, that's it. It's, it's, I mean, it's back and cool. It's, it's going to be massive. It's going to be a massive Disney franchise. High concept stuff, you know. Yeah, it's sort of meta. It's like you know, it, it's 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 an aspect of Yoda we've never seen, um, and a lot of his houseboy that we've never seen. Um, well, like you said, it is a sexy episode already. So you that's know, true. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to give anything uh, of the game away about where it all goes, but let's just say there's a spark between Yoda and his houseboy, <laughs> a forbidden love um, that crosses a professional divide. Oh my goodness! I don't think this is going to get any better. Actually, this episode, I think we should just quit here. Could we? Really? Yeah, I think yeah, this maybe. could be just quite as good as it gets. Um, no, funnily <laughs> enough, I have been filming. Um, <clears throat> On Yoda's Houseboy. Let's call it Project <laughs> Yoda's Houseboy. And the uh, director and the uh, actor that I was in the scene with were both Arsenal fans. So oh, I had this wow. slightly surreal thing. And who knew of me and my uh, my other works? I had this slightly surreal thing where, like, director would yell, cut, and then she'd sort of sidle over and sort of ask me, you know, are we going to sign Ozimhen from Napoli? Um, <laughs> so I, I've been doing double duty today fair enough i mean did they did they do they know about the podcast was it a case of like cut uh, we're not sure about that one but we know you've got to get back and do the arsecast extra so i guess i, mean, I suspect do. that was there was probably an element of that they were probably thinking <laughs> that was a substandard acting performance but you know the people need the podcast let's get this guy in a cab and get this him home it's all so about, i'm here now it's all about yoda anyway really it's not it's not to so be honest fun. yeah and a lot of that's going to be cgi so <laughs> Especially some of the things they've got him doing. Oh yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, you know, there's no puppeteer that will sign up for that. No, no, no. You have to put your hand in some strange places when you're a puppeteer, <laughs> anyway. So, uh, <laughs> well, um, yeah. Look, it's been busy, and we ha- we are here in the evening. It seems strange to record in the evening. The sun is shining through my office window right now. Uh, bank holiday here is bank holiday there as well. Is it still bank holiday? You've had about six. No, it's not our bank holiday anymore. No, you what? had about six in a row, didn't you? We had. Well, we had Thursday and Friday, right? Yeah. Okay. Because um, we've still got a queen. Don't know if you mm. know about that. Um, but we're all back to work today, trying to oust the prime minister. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so it's business as usual, 
Right, right. Well, nothing quite as scandalous as that going on over here. It was. Oh, it's a bank holiday there today. It is bank holiday. Yeah, June bank holiday weekend. So, um, right. Been taking it kind of easy. The weather wasn't great. It was nice Saturday, but yesterday was just miserable, raining all day. So I stayed in. I watched, um, binge watched a, a couple of episodes. Well, the episodes of uh, the boys. Have you watched that? Uh, that superhero. No, interesting series? that you mentioned that. I've sort of been thinking maybe I should watch it. Is it good? It is good. It's a bit. Ent- it's entertaining. It is quite gruesome, and I have to say that in um, the uh, first part of the first uh, episode of the new series, there is a bit that just uh, you know you get to fifty years of age and you think you've probably seen pretty much all there is to see mm. in terms of on-screen violence or whatever it might be. But there yeah. is a there is a bit that I have to say. It, it took me by surprise, um, but it is a, it is a good show. It is very violent. It's sort of a, a, a twist on the the superhero thing. Um, yeah. yeah, interestingly, my friend, uh, the Arsenal supporting comedian Annie McGrath, mm. was acting this weekend in a kind of immersive theatre show based on the boys. Okay, um, it was kind of like you know, I think it was an Amazon uh, tie-in or something similar, and um, she just kept sending me. Uh, it was like, you know, you wander into a basement and there's actors in there and you kind of have an experience, but she kept just sending me pictures of like bloody corpses. So I guess that's the vibe, right? There's a lot of blood and gore. There, there is, there is. There's a lot of exploding people um, without yeah. without necessarily bombs, but certainly, you know, when they explode, there is a lot of uh, blood and guts and, and what have you. But, but I is mean, this a recommendation from you, or you're not sure? You're on the fence. No, I like it. I like it. I like the first two series. It took me a while to get into the second one. I was a little bit hmm, humming and hawing, but I think it's going to go in a in a particularly dark direction, which is which is um, you know, it looks like it's going to be entertaining. So yeah, I'm on board with this one. I'm on. Board I've been with watching this. series four of Stranger Things. Nobody asked, but I'm just telling you. And um, okay. it's, it's excellent. It's right. Good. I couldn't, do you know what? I couldn't get beyond season two of Stranger Things. And- you, it's a shame, actually, because I think two and three are a bit of a dip from mm. one, and four has really come strong. Um, but yeah, I hear you on that. Okay. But I'm enjoying seriously. All right. All right. Well, this maybe not, I'll, I'll I mean, revisit. You know, it's the summer. Guys, what do you want from us? You're going to get TV recommendations mainly. Well, this is it. This is it. There isn't a great deal of football going on, but I guess we're going to have to dive right into the little bits and bobs. The listeners are are screaming into the void. Nabry news. Bring us the Nabry news. (laughs) What is the Nabry news? Do we have Nabry news? We should have like a jingle for that. The jingle would say there is no Nabry news. And and to be honest, I think we'd get a lot of use out of that jingle over the course of the summer. Okay. Well, then we're going to have to move on because it's all about... Big Billy, Big Bill Saliba, Big Bill himself. Yes, he uh, he did an interview at the weekend. I thought this was quite interesting. That like people were on tenterhooks in a way. It's like, what's going to happen? What's what's he going to say in this interview with Telefoot or whoever it was that he he spoke to in Mm. France? Will he say? Arsenal is my club forever, or I want to stay in Marseille forever, whatever it is. And it was like, it's a bit weird because, like, he does have a contract with us, and it would be really odd if he just went on TV and said, nah, I want to go somewhere else. Get me out of here. I don't want to go back. That would be weird, right? I hear you, but he, he didn't he kind of do that about a fortnight ago at the um- – I, maybe, but I mean, I think he was just sort of at the end of his loan spell with Marseille and he was, you yeah. know, I think he was just trying to 
I, want, I'm, I don't want to say... He's trying to be everything to everyone. Exactly. He's trying to keep everybody happy. He I mean, just, I'm joking, but I do think there is an element of that to of, this. Of course, because, you know, you, you never quite know what, what's going to happen in football, but I think he's just sort of at the end of his spell with Marseille. He had a very good time, connected with the club, connected with the fans, wants to say the right thing for them. And, I, you know, I think you can interpret it as... Well, he said this nice thing about Marseille, therefore he must hate Arsenal. I don't, you know, the two things aren't mutually exclusive, you know? Mm. But I did I did find it quite curious. Like, this is a 21-year-old guy, really promising player, really talented, everything else. And, you know, people are just like, oh, what is going to happen with him? And then he said, well, I'm going to go back. I've got two years left. I want to show this great club yeah. and these great fans what I'm all about, et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, well, of course. Unless you're, like, really badly advised. And, you know, some players are quite badly advised. But I don't. It, he doesn't strike me as one of those. He doesn't strike me as an unprofessional guy in any way. I mean, this was basically what he was going to say, right? I think so. I think... I, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, it, it, what he said... It's been reported sort of as quite definitive, like kind of case closed. Mm. That's it. He's going back. Oh, you're um, going to piss in people's chips now, right? No. <laughs> I, I mean, listen, it, it definitely looks more like that than it did a few weeks ago because, you know, it's not just what he said. It's what Mikel Arteta has said yeah. publicly. And both of those things have been a bit lacking. Um but it's interesting. I sort of was thinking about this. I knew we were going to talk about it uh, on the show today. And then I read your blog this morning, Monday mm. morning, and I was like, oh, you've sort of said what I would have said. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, I know that I said many times, several times on here, that I didn't have a great deal of confidence that he'll come back and play for Arsenal. Yes, yeah, some and people I did bring that up, in fairness. Yeah, mm. yeah. And I promise that what I'm about to say is not just me – um, clinging on to some idea that I might be right because I don't want to be right. I want to see William Saliba at Arsenal. But I am still um, sceptical, shall I say, about this all working out for that outcome. Okay. Can I ask you this then? Because we do, I mean, we do have questions and we'd lots yeah. of questions yeah. about him. And, and one of the questions that we got is from, let me have a look here. Um, from Dr. Generational, PhD, MBBS, BSc, who's at Just Rankings 20 on Twitter. And he said, considering we're at the two years left, resign or sell window with William Saliba, what do you honestly think happens with him? Because I think most of us listening to this would be like, it'd be great if he came back and really, you know, settled into life at Arsenal, became a big Arsenal player, all of that kind of stuff. But I don't think you can look at his situation without taking into account that contractual element. So he has two years left. If nothing happens this summer and we hang on to him, we end up next summer in that situation that we all hate, where a player's got a year left on his contract. We're fretting that, A, we won't sign him and he's going to leave for free, or B, like all the power goes to the player in the contract. Uh, contract negotiation situation. So there have been reports that Arsenal are going to try and get him to sign a new contract. I mean, do you think that this is as much as like what we want, what the club want, um, what Mikel Arteta might want, et cetera, et cetera, that this maybe is the, not the deciding factor, but very uh, key to what happens? 
I think it will be a big factor. I mean, what I would say is, how can he sign that contract? I, I, I'm, I, I can't see him signing a contract without getting some sense of his standing within the squad. Do you um, think that can I, happen um, via discussions, yeah. or does it? Does he need to like? Would it, I mean, I, I don't think it would be unreasonable for him to say, "Well, look, I I like these assurances that you've given me, but I want to sit here." for a while and let's see where we are in December and see how involved I am and see how much I've played. I don't mm. think that would be unreasonable for him or any player, really. Yeah, and if I'm his agent, and I think he is quite well advised, to be honest, I think he's conducted himself pretty well through some pretty difficult circumstances. Um, I, I don't know that I would advise him, unless the financial terms are incredibly favourable, mm. Uh to sign that contract until, you know, he has some experience um, until games are happening and he, and he gets some sense of where he is in the reckoning. Because I, I just think words at this point won't mean that much to him. I mean, uh, who knows what he was told when he first signed for the club mm. back in 2019 or whatever it was, you know, in a year you'll come over to London and you'll be with us and you'll be an important part of the team. Um, that didn't, come to pass so i don't think words are gonna swing it at this point um it, it's a, it's it is i mean i guess we say you know there's a lot of talk about it but it is a really complex and interesting situation as well mm. um my, my thing is like i i think what saliba's most recent interview and what michael Arteta said publicly lead me to believe is that we will at least get to the point of Saliba turning up for pre-season training with Arsenal uh, and mm. spending some time with the group. And I have to be honest and say, I wasn't sure we'd get there. Um, okay. I thought, you know, a decision might be made, a negative decision, should we say, prior to that. So I think the fact that, you know, the fact that that looks like it's going to happen, to me suggests at least both parties are sort of open to this working out i mean uh, do you do you think as a club arsenal can take the gamble let's say they sit him down and say look we really want you to be part of this club and he says great but i want to see how much i play before i commit right yeah. and that those are isn't that reason isn't that really reasonable if he says that i i don't think it's unreasonable at all no however it is a gamble because you're in the situation where next year he could get to a year out and then sit in his contract and leave on a Bosman the year after. Mm -hmm. um, whether he's happy with how much he's playing or not. We know stuff can go on behind the scenes. You know, um, is that a gamble that Arsenal can take given some of the deals that we've seen done in recent years where players who would have had some significant value players that we've spent a lot of money on, not in every case, but we've also had some players who've come through the academy or come through from a very young age have, you know, left for nothing. And you're thinking, well, there's Ozil, there's Aubameyang, there's Lacazette, there's Danny Welbeck, there's Aaron Ramsey, there's Jack Wilshire. You know, there, there is a list of players that, that have gone for nothing yeah. and that at some point you as a football club have to say, well, we can't let that happen. We, we have to... 
we have to maybe make a difficult decision, one that we don't want to make, but in the interests of maximizing, you know, the value of a player at a key time, well, you know, people might not like it, but this is what we're going to have to do. Or you say, look, we, we want you to stay. Here's the contract offer. If you want to see how much you play, you know, that that is a calculated risk, I guess, based on, um, I suppose, no, external factors come into play then. Because I guess when you get to 12 months out, there'll be people talking to his agent saying, you know what, we'll, we'll take him. We'll take him in a year's time or we'll, you know, take him for a slightly knockdown fee with 12 months to go, that kind of way. It is, it is a complex one for, for Arsenal, isn't it? It is. And, you know, you describe it as a gamble. I think it is a gamble. But I think it's a gamble the club may have to take if they want to give it a go mm. with Saliba. I, I just can't... Again, I might be proved wrong about this, but I find it hard to envisage a scenario where he has the confidence uh, and feels that the management team at Arsenal have the confidence in him for him to put pen to paper on a new deal at this point. Um, mm. But, you know, the, the, the other thing to say is it doesn't have to be next summer. You know, if the first few months of the season see him settling into the group, settling into life in England, getting game time, if he's selected for the France World Cup squad, mm. you know, there might be an opportune moment at that point to do a deal, to do a new contract. Um, and I think realistically, that is what something Arsenal may, a sort of bullet they may have to bite if they want it to work with this player. Because I agree, it's a bit of a financial risk and you risk having an asset of depreciating value. Um, but I'm not sure I see a way around it. I, I suppose the way around it is he's he's sufficiently convinced to, to sign a new contract. But I just, well... My instinct tells me that would be very difficult mm. at this point in time. Do you think that? Do you think? Can you see him signing a contract right now? I mean, I, I would be surprised. I'd be really surprised. But you know, maybe, maybe they are persuasive. Maybe they can yeah. persuade him and convince him that look, um, we we want you to stay and we want you to play and we think you can grow here and be part of a, a team that uh, and a club. Hopefully, that is that is going places. And I suppose what I would say as well, uh, and this is a point I made in the blog, is that the arsenal that he is coming into right now feels much more attuned or in line with his age profile, his qualities, his potential than the arsenal he came into in 2019 when we were mm -hmm. still going through the Mustafi and Socrates and David Luiz stuff, you know, which... Yeah, look, I think I've said before, like the idea of a loan for a 20-year-old centre-half is not one that really bothers me too much. But of course, his whole situation, there's been a lot of baggage about it and everything else. But like if he has to be convinced, I don't think that's unreasonable because, you know, he's gone to Marseille, he's played every week, he's in the French squad. You know, if he comes into Arsenal, let's say he has a slow start to his season for whatever reason and and maybe just misses out on the World Cup, what does that do? Yeah. You know, there are there are things that Arsenal are going to have to manage or think about that maybe just go go beyond, I don't know how you'd uh, express this, like because obviously the manager and the coaching staff make the best decisions that they uh, make for 
each game to try and win the game, but they've got to think about some of the other things that go on as well, don't they? Yeah, I mean, I've always said that World Cup really looms large in terms of Saliba's future. The fact that it comes in the winter as well, mm. you know, it, he he kind of needs to hit the ground running in game time mm. terms if he is to keep that place. And, you know, normally, if you're looking at the situation, Arsenal have got an established centre-back pairing of Gabriel and Ben White. They're bringing in a young player, younger than those guys who's been out on loan. You'd think, well, you bed him in. You know, you'd give him time. Mm. Maybe by the end of the season, he's playing more games. That I don't think that's going to cut it mm. for Saliba. Um, maybe the Europa League is kind of the saving grace. You know, that's the thing that means that he will start enough games to be in that contention. And Deschamps will, you know, be satisfied with that. Yeah. The other thing about the contract is that money does ultimately talk. I mean... You know, I can say about the player needs to be persuaded, but when I say money talks, it's not just the fact of the wage, but if a club are prepared to put you into a certain bracket of salary, that is usually a very good indicator of what sort of playing time you're expected yeah. to get. So if they put him on a starter's salary, for example, uh, then that might change things, but... I'm cautiously optimistic. How can you not be after what he has said and what Arteta has said? I just feel that between him turning up for training on day mm. one at London Colney and the end of the transfer window, I still think it's, I have a nagging yeah. feeling there are still sort of questions to be answered. Doesn't that then in some ways demand a relatively quick decision because I think it would be fair to say that Arsenal do need a central defender. I know you've reported that they're maybe after a left-sided centre-half, but Saliba as well can play in that position, has played in, in that position. So he could tick boxes across the back line. And I, I wonder as well about perhaps the, the versatility of some of the players that we've got back there. Um, mm -hmm. You know, Ben White can play centre-half and right-back. Saliba can play left-centre-half, right-centre-half, and he can play in a three. Gabriel, yeah. also Kieran Tierney, can play left-back, and he can play in a back three. Tommy Asu can play as right-back. He can play as a central defender as well. So I wonder if that kind of versatility is, is something that they're thinking about. But, you know, if there is something, in inverted commas, amiss with the Saliba situation... Maybe they have to sort it quickly because we are going to need to bring in another central defender one way or the other then. I do think we need, yeah, certainly at least one new central defender. And Max, who's Rad Schooner on Twitter, said, is William Saliba the most like a new signing player of all time? <laughs> but he really would be. I mean, you know, if, if we were buying William Saliba at this point in time, sure, we'd all be pretty excited about that. I yeah. Um, given what he's done in, in Ligue 1 this season. So, yeah, Make no mistake, it's an addition that would really strengthen our options. I think it would give us options, as you suggest, with the versatility of some of these guys, mm. different combinations. I think we're going to need that over the coming season. I wouldn't, you know, discount Rob Holding from that group either. I think, you know, he'll play games in, in, in the cup competition, certainly. Um, yeah, I, I just... I, I, I can't quite get away from this question of is that going to be 
enough for him to be happy, enough for the club to be content about the contractual situation. I'd love to think that a quick decision could be made and I'd love to think that decision would be a positive one. Mm. But uh, that I'm not optimistic of. I feel like... Because I feel like for the player, games will be instructive. Sure. Sure. It it feels like the ball is being knocked back and forward between the two courts uh, at the moment, between Arsenal and, and Saliba. Yeah. And I guess we'll just find out um, when preseason starts and, and how involved he is and, and what the manager says about him and, and everything else. Um, let me ask you this one, because we're doing questions, obviously, throughout. Um, okay. And let me see if I can find this one. Uh, it's a bit of an either-or question, but I'm not if sure. If it's about... Yoda's uh, no. manservant or whatever no. it is. I, you know, I can't Yoda's say anymore. No, 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 that's fine. That's fine. The house we'll boy, I can't exactly. say anymore. We will keep those uh, plot details under wraps for now. Um, Semperfy Arsenal, at Semperfy Arsenal, says, if given a choice, would you go for Zinchenko or Tielemans? And I just thought this was quite interesting because um, I don't know how much there is in the links to Zinchenko. Mm. Um, an interesting player, I think. Um but I wanted to just to ask you about that, if that's something you think is is potentially a possibility. But the idea, I guess, is that Zinchenko could play in midfield. And I was looking at his stats for Manchester City this season, and pretty much every single appearance for Manchester City this season has been at left back, which yeah. is also interesting because, you know, you reported Nuno Tavares, they're, they're considering maybe a loan uh, for mm-hmm. him next season. Zinchenko, if he can play midfield, but also play at left back, there's that versatility we're talking about again. Uh, because we, you know, we all have a little bit of concern over Kieran Tierney and his ability to to stay the course during during a season. So I don't want to put you on the spot with the either or, but do you think there's genuine interest, or does that make sense that there might be some interest in Zinchenko? Well, it makes sense to me, as in, if you ask me as a as a fan, you know, do I think he's an interesting player and do I think he fulfills a need within the squad, then I would say, yeah. Um, so from a sort of technical level, in terms of is there legitimate interest in the player, uh, some but not loads um, would be how I would phrase that. Hmm. Um, wait till you see that tweeted out by the aggregator sites. Some but not loads, says James McNicholas. <laughs> I, I mean, Mikel Arteta really likes Zinchenko as a player and he's worked with him a lot. Um, and often, you know, if Arteta likes a player, that's a, a massive, uh, what's the word, factor in hmm. whether or not they end up at Arsenal. The, there's two things that sort of count against it. Um, one is that his role within the squad that sort of uh left backy role at the current time is a, is not uh the highest priority i think it's not something they're like actively hugely pursuing at this point in time and then the other element is financial mm. so the problem when you buy a, a manchester city player is that um they are expensive they can charge pretty much what they want in terms of transfer fees, and they usually arrive on very healthy salaries. And the issue you would have with Zinchenko is that if you kind of aggregate his um, transfer fee and his wages, he would cost you uh, what a starting player costs you. And then the question is, is he a starter 
in this team. Um, and mm. that is the sort of debate that will be going on about that player. Okay. But I think uh, I sort of get that, you know, the the, the cost thing. I mean, I, I, he, I think he's as a sort of plug and play option, a guy who can play left back, a guy who can play central midfield. Um, I think he makes a ton of sense. Mm. But is he going to play for you in your best 11? I don't know. I don't know either, but yeah. Interesting, interesting one. Um, we had one from Maddie the Goon who said, oh, this was six days ago. I don't know how I've seen this. But he said, is Zinchenko really only on 20 grand a week? Are those numbers correct? No idea. No idea. No idea. Seems low for a Manchester City player, to be honest. Could be low. I mean, he, he arrived there very young. Yeah. And he wasn't, you know, a heralded star or anything like it. I thought it was interesting. I was doing some reading and Arsene Wenger apparently really liked him when he was a 17-year-old and wanted to bring him over to Arsenal, but it didn't happen ultimately. Right. Um, so there is a bit of history there. Mm. I, I think uh, I, I think he's an excellent player. He was fantastic against Scotland um, in Ukraine's World Cup playoff. And, you know, I, I think he would... That question of is he starter, I sort of think with the amount of games we're having to face, I'm not sure I'm not sure that is the question really. Do you know what I mean? I sort mm. of think there's gonna be games for everybody. It's the same with Saliba, you know, if we have three centre halves, listen, they'll all play. If we have two left backs or two left eights, they'll play. Um I would really like it. He he he's a signing that I would really like I just think bringing people in from top cultures where they're winning things he's always healthy he's got great technical ability he's the right kind of age yeah ticks a lot of my boxes uh, but I don't get the sense that at this point in the window Arsenal are sort of beating down the door for Zinchenko um, okay. I think there's admiration there but it's it's not the current uh Priority. Priority is my priority is going to be my word of the window. Right, basically. and priority, um, of course, is um, is uh, striker and and central. Serge Gnabry, obviously. Serge Gnabry, yes, of course. No, I, I, I think it's, it's it's interesting that question of priority because essentially a lot of the time I'm asked like, are, do Arsenal are Arsenal interested in this player? Do they like this player? And so much of the time, the answer is yes. Like. Mm they're good players out there, then you can bet your bottom dollar Arsenal are watching them or interested in them or even talking to their agents. Um, it's just a question of priority. Priority, And I think also there's a kind of chronology to a window and I think there are, there are some big empty boxes that Arsenal feel the need to tick um, first and foremost. And I think that's where their energies are focused all right well here, here's a question from willisham saliba who's that dope gooner <laughs> okay and he said how worried are you about gabriel jesus potentially going to spurs or real madrid there were some uh, reports from spain that real madrid were were interested i have um, to say i uh the the real madrid one i went ooh, mm. that's not ideal <laughs> if that's true and i don't know at this point Spurs, I'm like, yeah. I think we chatted about this before. I'm not as convinced his role within the Spurs team is as defined as or as high profile as it would be at Arsenal. Agree. Look, look at the strikers they've already got. Um, Real Madrid, I just think for a Brazilian player 
moving to a Mediterranean country. The climate, I mean, let's not leave out the fact they just won the Champions League. Uh, they're not a bad side. Um, that would be a serious, that would be some serious competition, wouldn't it? Yeah, I think it would, yeah. Yeah. I think it would. Um, uh, I mean, the, the thing you'd say about transfer rumours from Spain is that they do have four football, well, not football, but sports newspapers to fill every single day. And two of them are Madrid-based, you know, f uh, primarily um, focused on, on Real Madrid. Sure. Um, They've got a lot of content to produce. They, they do have a lot to put out there. And a lot of stuff comes out of Spain and... You know, it's. Like I'm sure they admire Gabriel the Jesus, but is he a priority? I don't know if he's their priority. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm a bit. I, I'm sort of quietly confident on Jesus. I feel like there's enough plausible reasons for him to want to come that it just it doesn't feel like pie in the sky. It feels like something we could do, but. Another club coming in, um, like Real Madrid, would obviously make that much more challenging. How um, how soon do you think that something like that could happen? Because uh, let me just double-check the Brazil fixtures because yeah. they're playing some games. Um, Brazil fixtures. Uh, oh... I don't know what Brazil fixtures are there. Let's see. Oh, they're playing. Oh, they play Japan. Um, they play Japan today. Did Tommy Asu play? I don't know. I'm just going to have a look at it now and see if I can find um, teams. Let's one see, teams. nil. They won Neymar penalty. Right. Teams. Um, no Tommy Asu did not play. That's for the best. That's good. Um... Gabriel Martinelli got on. Yes, as did uh, Gabriel Jesus, who did not start. Um, how soon? I, 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 I'd be guessing. Honestly, I have no, I have no idea. Um, I think, but by the looks of it, I think that's their their last fixture. So, if their international commitments are done and dusted. And the guy wants to go and, you know, have a nice holiday, you know, put his feet up, probably get a, you know, deck chair at Bridlington, something like that, you know, dip his toes into the North Sea, uh, soak up the rays, all that kind of stuff. He's going to sure. want to have his, going to want to have his future sorted out before that, isn't he? You know, packing his suitcase, the handkerchief to tie around his head, all that kind of stuff. He's going to want yeah. his, going to want, you know, it's sorted out. He doesn't want a saga. So maybe something will happen soon. That'd be nice. I mean, that's what we all want, really. I, you know, you talk about clubs like Real Madrid. A lot of these big European clubs, Jesus might not be their number one target, but mm. he might be there two or three. And what you don't want to do is wait until it gets to the end of the window and clubs are starting looking down at two or three on their list. Um, mm. You know, he's Arsenal's absolute priority. He is their number priority, one Priority, you say, yeah? Yeah. yeah. I, hey, <laughs> I used the word that time. Wasn't afraid to. So I think they, yeah, hopefully they can get some movement on that. That would be great, in my opinion. He's an, he's another player that I think would be an excellent yes. 
addition. I agree. I'd really like I'd really like that signing, and uh, it's one of those where I feel like you know if we could get that one done, it, it'd be a really good start to our summer business. It would think, be a Philip. Yeah. yeah, everyone's you know people are growing a little bit anxious, even though the window's only just open <laughs> and everything else, and there's still a long way to go, and the summer's only just begun, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Nevertheless, the anxiety levels I sense, you know, from. Um, uh, seeing things online and what have you. Like, it, it might just calm people down a little bit if we filled one of the key roles that needs to be filled. Yeah, I think that's fair. By the way, I never really answered the question about Zinchenko versus um, Tielemans. Tielemans, yeah. yeah. And and my um, and just to say, sort of, I guess it was sort of evident, but the button on that would be that I think Tielemans probably is a starter um, in this team. Uh, at least I think that's the intention. Mm. And so I think, again, to use the priority word, I think that, that bumps him up Arsenal's list a little bit. It is an inter uh, an interesting concept, not an interesting concept, like Tielemans coming in as a, a starter, you know, um, he's 24, is he 24 years of age, 25 years of age? Um and, like that, and would be yeah. a you know a fairly um, substantial signing, 25. given that we're going to buy him from another Premier League club, and we've talked about this uh, ad infinitum, you know. But he he starts in place of Granit Xhaka, mm. and I know you've spoken about this. I think we've spoken about it before on on the podcast. Like, I I don't think Xhaka is a is a happy substitute or a guy who is looking for a diminished role at the club or any club that he would be at. I think he, you know, is that kind of guy. He wants to play. He wants to start. He wants to do his stuff. And, I mean, do you think that that might have an effect on Shaka's future? I mean, I personally... Shaka's going to play up front, Andrew. That's the... Is that what it is? He's our plan B. Gavage just goes to Real Madrid... Shaka as a as a false nine. He's going to be the Paul Warhurst of of this <laughs> season. Is that what you're saying? Um, I don't uh, have any concrete information that suggests Shaka's going, but but I've written about it and talked about my little hunch that it could happen. Um, and you do wonder about it. I mean, I agree completely with your point that he's not a natural substitute. No, you know whether or not you think. His uh, ability is deserving of substitute status. Unfortunately, it's not hugely compatible with his personality, I suspect. Um, mm. So that would be an interesting thing to manage. Um, Does I mean, would, would like the dominoes falling kind of situation if you want to put it like that is if Tielemans comes in and Xhaka is like he's I don't think he's gonna shirk any kind of challenge or anything like that but he won't also be blind to the reality of the situation that he's a guy who's heading towards 30 they've signed a 24 25 year old player who's a little bit more um creative I think you would mm -hmm. say you know a different kind of profile for that left eight that advanced left eight so you know, it's not that there wouldn't be football for him, but maybe he might think, okay, well, look, I I've done my time here. 
this could be the the way or this could be the time for me to go does that then maybe put more credence in the zinchenko thing that that might be part of why there are links to him like then you get your left eight backup slash left back guy and you add depth in two positions with one player could be could be but i don't mm. uh I don't know that to be true, basically, but it's, it's possible. I'm I mean, just speculating, obviously. Yeah, if 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 Shaka were to go, then I think Zinchenko really makes a ton of sense, right? Because mm. he plays in all the same areas, essentially, whether it's in left-back or in central midfield. He's doing a similar job in that Man City team. When he plays left-back, he spends half the game in central midfield anyway. Mm. Um, so he's operating in all the same zones as Shaka. So I think... As a kind of Xhaka replacement, he makes, yeah, a ton of sense. Um, mm. But I think that would, like you say, need Xhaka to go. Well, the, the interesting thing about Xhaka, like, and Tielemans coming in, would that make Xhaka rethink his future? I don't know, because like you say, I think he would back himself in any contest and I think he would be up for the challenge. And the other thing to say is that you know, if he if he were to stay this summer and then play less than ideal or, or less than he wanted, mm. he would just move on in the future. You know, I, I think Shaka, whether or not Shaka stays this summer, I'm not sure he'll be at Arsenal in two years' time. I think whatever happens, he's not part of the long term future of the club just because of the age, really. And unlike Saliba, he's not in a position where he has to decide now, you know, it's not like it's going to cost him his place with Switzerland or, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, I, I think he has a bit more space around his decision than, than Saliba does. Saliba's really in this like crucible, you know, where it feels like this kind of um, sliding doors moment for him. I don't think the same is true to the same extent of, of Shaka, but it's a really interesting one. Uh, because yeah, I, I have, I just have this hunch. I just can't foresee a scenario where Shaka's just like on the bench. Just maybe that's just because we're, we've never seen it and, before. And, yeah, but you know what? As well, I, I don't know that that's a good role for him anyway. Right. If that yeah. makes sense, he he strikes me as the kind of guy who needs to play. Yeah, regularly. I can't imagine you know bringing what I mean? him on. As a sub, and I mean, we have seen it. Do you remember? I think there was a cup game at home to Newcastle once where he came on and absolutely bossed it, turned the game around. I, I can't remember the one where Smith Rowe was sent off. But, um, right. but I know what you mean. He's not uh, an impact substitute, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, he's not a guy who's going to come on and like inject a load of pace and energy into a game. And no. I think probably for, um, you know, his best periods come when he plays regularly. He's got the rhythm and everything else. Mm. Um, and I wonder as well if some of the the slight flaws in his game might be exacerbated by a role where he is maybe in his own mind looking to prove himself or, or show what he can do or, you know, be yeah, or just super a bit committed. Yeah. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, not quite got that tempo. Exactly, um, yeah. I think that's probably true. And as he gets older, that probably would only be further exacerbated. Mm. Um, it is an interesting one, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, there's a, listen, 
there's an argument from the club side that they should sell Shaka now, that it's the right time, that his value is decent. He's got a little bit left on his contract. He's at the age where, you know, he's probably past his peak at this point in time. You can make a very cogent case that this is the point to get some money back on Granite Xhaka. Um, mm. I'm just not sure Mikel Arteta will see it like that, given how important to him we know Xhaka has been historically. Mm. Uh, yeah, but again, you know, if you're if you're telling a player how important he is by by going out and signing somebody to play in his position, yeah, that there yeah. is there is the rub, of course. Um, and those even, are, guess- even moving to that system, in my opinion was a bit of a uh, yep, sort of water, like a move away from Shaka, you know? Yeah, yeah. Essentially, you're playing him in, out of position, really, in the second half of the season. Well, you're asking him to do a job that is not necessarily his natural job. And to yeah, be fair, I accurate. think he did it pretty well. I think he did it pretty well for the most part. Um, but it, it does tell you that, you know, maybe they're looking to to do something a little bit different. Okay, look, we're we're going to take a break here because we've reached um, the end of part one. We're going to do more of your questions uh, in part two. So stick with us. We'll be right back after this. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash post. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer the questions that you sent to us on Twitter, at GunnarBlog and at ArsBlog, and also on the ArsBlog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an ArsBlog member on Patreon. And just to give you a heads up, myself and James will be doing a waffle podcast this week over on Patreon. This is the podcast in which we take your questions and answer anything and everything about anything and everything except... Arsenal. I got there in the end. Uh, I got myself tied up a little bit with that one. So you can find that at patreon.com forward slash arsebug. We'll have that for you midweek there, thereabouts. Right. Do you want to go? Do you want to go first in part two? Yeah, why not? Okay. So this question is from AJ, who's at UFGuna AJ on Twitter. Mm -hmm. And AJ says, do you think, it's interesting, actually, I guess it's a bit of a follow on maybe from the, the Shaka conversation. Do you think experience can be overrated as an intangible quality. Sometimes we point to poor performances from veteran players and say we should expect better from an experienced pro. But at some point, if you lack elite talent, 
perhaps the experience can't cover it that much. Uh, yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. But what what makes mistakes from experienced players more frustrating is the the idea that you know you can learn mm. and you can make mistakes, and every player makes mistakes but you should be able to learn from them. And when a guy who's 21, 22, 19, whatever it is, if he gets something wrong, you can say, look, you've got to do better there. But next time you experience that situation, next time that scenario comes up, remember the time it went wrong and do it differently, right? Mm. But when you've got a guy who's 26, 27, 28, 29, maybe older than that, and they make the same mistake time and time again, or they do the same things over and over again. I think you can in some way put it down to not being elite talent, but you also have to put it down to them just being unable or unwilling to learn from what's happened before. You know, a guy, a central defender, for example, not naming any names, you know, it could be anyone could be literally anyone who just goes, I don't know, sliding in, mm. doesn't stay you, you on the street. You haven't got anyone specific in mind. I haven't got anyone specific in mind. I'm just throwing it out there as a completely sure. random example. But that guy who then goes to ground and the attacker waltzes past him and scores a goal or creates a chance or whatever it is. And then a few games later, that same central defender does exactly the same thing. I'm not sure that's a talent issue as much as a brain issue. Do you know what I mean? And I do think that you you can benefit from experience without being an elite talent. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. think about someone like, uh, who's a good example of this? James Milner, maybe. A really mm -hmm. good example of this. Who I think, you know, is a decent player, but as he's got older and the experiences that he's had where was he it was at man city where was he before man city was it aston villa leeds aston villa aston villa you know he's a player who at every club he went to learned how to develop his game even when other aspects of it were diminishing like his physicality or his pace or whatever it is when you get older obviously that is that is something you have to contend with, but he was smart, you know, and, and was able to read the game and able to, to use his experience to his benefit. I don't think you would say he is an elite talent, a very good player, but like, you know, he's not like a, a Dennis Bergkamp or Thierry Henry or a Mo Salah or anyone like that. But what he has done over the course of his career is, is learn the game. And um, I think you nailed it because you said he's smart. and Yeah, like I said, it's a brain issue. I, I guess experience does have a value, um, but I think it is still possible we overvalue it. It's, it, it. it's not in itself that valuable. Like if you have played 500 games, but you're not um, intelligent enough mm. to kind of – process that accordingly and improve and 
on your mistakes, then that experience has no real value. So it, it's only really worth anything in conjunction with other qualities that make you able to apply that experience. I agree. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but you know, a lot of footballers do have those. That's why they are professional footballers you know because they've shown that all through their careers from when they were mm. 12 13 years old um they've been able to learn from situations and put that into practice so i think for most footballers experience does have a benefit but only really because of other mm. attributes yeah. that you have at your disposal i think you you know intelligence is the one that that really um that really benefits you as you get older and, and how you can, yeah. how you understand your own game as well. It's not just about what's going on around you. It's about knowing what you can do and what you're capable of and what you're capable of producing. And, and I suppose that also works in conjunction with whatever coach or manager you have who can see the qualities that, that you can bring to a team. Yeah. And also you've got to bear in mind what, if you imagine it like a graph, like as that experience line is kind of going up diagonally, you've got a couple of others that are heading most likely in the other direction, which are your physical traits and capacity and perhaps potentially your motivation yeah. as well. Mm, that's so, true. That's true. You know, you're, you're kind of working against that. So it, 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 I think it does have a value, but I think the original question, uh, was it AJ? Well, so yeah, AJ mm. is an interesting one because I think it's certainly arguable that we do overvalue it. Um, or at least we attribute too much to pure experience yeah. when actually other qualities are what sort of, they perform the alchemy that turns that experience into improvement. Yes, yes, great way of putting it. Okay, here's one from the Discord from Payne992, who says, who do you think will improve the most next season? Which Arsenal player? I guess so, yeah, because we don't care about any other kind of players, do we? That's a good question. Who will improve the most? Who's mm. going to get the most improved player prize at the end of the season? I'm going to make, say a very boring answer. Um, I'm going to say Bukayo Saka. Right. That's... Because I know he's our best player. Mm. <laughs> and I know he's probably going to be our player of the season. But he is, uh, how old? Let me have a look. 20. Mm. And given the nature of his talent... And his age, I, I think we're on the cusp of him potentially exploding beyond even what he's already done. And I think he could go from a good player in this Arsenal team to one of the uh, unquestionable stars of this league. Mm. And that's maybe a bigger jump, say, than someone who's kind of not doing that well now, but, you know, is sort of moderately capable next season. You right. I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's a high bar, you know, um, yeah. because he has obviously been so good. Can you hear these fucking, can you hear that? No, what is it? Hang on. <sighs> Bastards. Chilling. Outside my window. Absolutely chilling. They're, they're fighting out there, magpie bastards. Um, I would say, I've got two in mind. Okay. One is Gabriel Martinelli. Mm -hmm. 
because I think he did improve last season, but I feel like there there was still there's still something to click, if you know what I mean, in terms of his yeah. end product. Uh, I think he had respectable-ish numbers in the end. There was like six or seven goals, six or seven assists in the end, which is not bad. But I think he's, I think he's capable of more. Some of the positions that he gets himself into, I think he is. The capable way he of looked more. when he first came into the team around kind of Christmas time. You think of that Leeds game. Mm. Um, there were a few games around that time where you thought if he keeps playing like this, you know, his numbers come at the end of the season are going to be amazing yeah. and he didn't quite sustain that productivity so I think that's a good shout uh, who was the other one Ben White Ben White Ben White who I think had a really good season and clearly uh, Mikel Arteta thinks very very highly of of Ben White um, you know I, I just feel like his first season at the club had a difficult start but but you know settled in well and became an important player I just feel like he's got he's got that jump in him as well. Um, you know, there are a few though as well. You know, you could look at Ramsdale, you could look at Gabrielle, you could look at um, Martin Odegaard. You know, players mm-hmm. who are definitely capable of giving us more than we got this season, which isn't to downplay what they did, but I think we saw the potential, we saw evidence of the talent, and we saw evidence of the ability, and now it's about producing it or uh, yeah the consistent application of that if you know what i mean and they're they're all still pretty young white is 24 odegaard's 23 gabrielle 23 you know martinelli's early 20s as well so those would be the ones that that i would pick um, yeah i mean what's interesting about all those players maybe all players pretty much in this arsenal team is that they have really shown a top level of performance at some stage mm. um the question is, can they produce that consistently? Yeah. Um, yeah, there's some really, it's, but you know, I find that exciting and interesting about this group that we can name so many players potentially uh, with this room to improve. Um, and that's what you get when you've got a, a young and talented group. Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah. You know, last season, last summer, we were all sat here saying, well, we're going to need more from, Smith Rowe, we're going to need more from Martinelli. We're going to need more from Saka, and and we got it. Yeah, and same uh, again. Let's do it again, same boys. Again, please, yeah, 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 yeah. that'd be nice. Yeah. Um, what about this? Suburban Guna Chris said Arteta said he wanted twenty-two outfield players and three keepers. Will any of the Hale End lads that haven't broken through yet? And he mentions Patino, Hutchison, Aziz make up that list. I don't know. I know they don't have to from a homegrown perspective, but could it be seen as a promotion and therefore make up numbers? Hmm. I mean, you don't quite know what's going to happen in preseason. A guy can come in and play some good games and and sort of thrust themselves into the reckoning in a way that you're not quite expecting. But I, I think those three, in particular, I mean. I like what I've seen of Brook Norton Cuffey. I do have to say yes. that. Did you watch the video, actually? There was a good video on the... No, the, was it good? Yeah, yeah. it's only like six or seven minutes on the Arsenal, the official Arsenal um, player. I think it's probably on the YouTube as well, the Arsenal yeah. YouTube. It is well worth a look because he talks really well about going on loan and his place in the team at, at Lincoln City and what he wants to do and how he wants to play and how he approached that loan. 
So I think, yeah, he he's an interesting one for the future, isn't he? Um, Definitely. Whether um, or not it's this season, I don't know. Yeah, but. we don't we don't quite know. And I think we, you know, I don't want to go down the right back road too far. Um, but you know, that is maybe an area where we can see an improvement beyond our our first choice player um, when he's fully fit or when he's not fully fit. You know what I mean? So. Mm-hmm. Certainly one uh, for the future, and maybe he's somebody who could benefit from some Europa League games. The others, I just feel like they need to go and play regular football somewhere against, and this is what Norton Cuffey said, was to go and play against men, Mm. to play against men. And it's different. You know, you can be a great player under 18, under 23 level, but you're playing against guys your own size. You're playing against, you know, um, players who physically aren't at their peak. You know, you're mm-hmm. not fully developed. You're not as strong as you are. You're not as muscular as you're going to be, all that kind of stuff. And probably, let's face it, when you go and play for a lower league team, um, you're playing against guys or playing with guys who, you know, who are, this is their job and this is their livelihood. And a lot depends on their job and their livelihood. And they'll do whatever it takes you know, whether it's to take your place in the team or whether it's to kick you out of a game to make sure that they win and they get their win bonus for their team, which is, you know, valuable to them and their income at the end of the day. So there's a lot more at stake when you're playing this kind of football. And I feel like those guys need to go and experience that um, before we can really start talking about them as as first-team prospects for us. You know, because yeah. they all look... Like Patino physically, I think, has got a bit of a way to go. Uh, Omari Hutchinson looks a really, really exciting player. But again, let him go run at some grizzled veteran fullbacks in the championship. Or I think there was some talk of him going to Reading, wasn't there? Um, it had been mentioned, yeah. Yeah, you know, so let him go and get those games in. Um, so I, I don't I don't rule out the idea that somebody from the academy could make the step up next season. Maybe somebody we're not quite expecting. But for those guys in particular, I think they need to go and play more regular football before we can really think about them as as uh, Arsenal players. Yeah, I, I think if one stays around, I think it might be Patino. Um, and and part of the reason is that for that is I'm not sure he's ready to go out physically. You know, you speak about what it's like playing against men. Mm. Um, I think if you look at him and his physical development, I don't really think, I sort of think it'd be too soon to send him to get booted all over the championship. Um, I I think that, you know, he's a bit more of a late bloomer physically and I think they might want to keep him close where his development can be kind of monitored and managed Mm. and that might come later for him. Um, yeah, I mean, he's still only 18. So. He's still only 18. One one guy wasn't mentioned there. We had another question about it from our little Mozart on Twitter. It says, good evening. What role do you envision Fuller and Balogun playing next season? With Eddie being given a new contract, do you see him getting minutes in Europa and domestic cup, cup competitions? Or would another loan be best for his development? That is an interesting one. Because, yeah, tough one, that. Because... You know, two strikers isn't really enough. It's not really enough for for a whole season of domestic and European football and maybe cup football as well. Yeah. So do we do we bring in another striker? 
Is it two sure. though? Is you know if if you think of Martinelli? Well, yeah. I mean, though, I was going to say, yeah, Martinelli could be used as a striker, and there's you know you and your Smith Rowe false nine agenda. Well, you know? yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, you know, will they really? Will they see it as two, or will they think we've got as long as we've got variety yeah. and and numbers in that sort of front three? We might be okay. I have it's a tricky f- one, Balogun, because he's been out on loan. You know, he's not he's not torn torn it up, has he, at Middlesbrough? But he's done well enough. Um, I, I wonder if he is perhaps a a potential January loan, whereby you know you keep him around for the group stages of the of the Europa League. You keep yeah. him around for the EFL Cup, and hopefully you get a few favorable draws in the early rounds of that competition, you know? And that means you can you can give guys like him some playing time and certainly um, Europa League, um, he's got to be in with a shout there. And then he gives you some depth. And then you see where you are in January, depending on how he's done and how often you think he's going to play. Um, I, th- I think that's probably, to be honest, they might hold on to a few of these kids until January because of the Europa League mm. and the possibility that they're, and the League Cup as well, and the possibility that they'll get minutes there. And they have that, um, luxury, you know, where they can kind of wait and see and then send them out in January. I think if you look back over our last few seasons, quite often these young players, they're held on to in August and then allowed to go mm. out in January when the playing group is a bit more condensed and a bit more clear. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it, it it will be interesting to see what they do with some of these young players. But I think for most of them, um, they're not quite there yet. Balagoon maybe, and he has had some moments in the first team for Arsenal and scored a couple of goals. So he's probably the closest to, to I suppose, getting minutes in, in the first team without having to go out again. But it wouldn't surprise me if there was another loan for him um, no, in, in right. January. Here's one from Simon Party King on the Discord. He says, Goodly morning, gents. It's goodly evening at this point. So can we talk a bit about KSE? With the Saudis in the ring, um, obviously at Newcastle, they're more important than ever at keeping us relevant through investment. For the first time since they took over 100%, they seem to have an executive in place with the club as their priority, and we're seeing improvements and positive planning, no doubt to try and deflect from the whole Super League thing. My question is, do you think K- do you think KSE have turned a corner, or is it just clear that more club-focused people need to be put in at executive level to keep us on the course that Arteta and Edu have us on now? Oh, that's a big question, isn't it? Mm. I mean, I think that there is a uh, marked change in the way KSC engage with Arsenal since they took 100% control. I don't, I'm not saying it's been all positive since then, but I think if you look at their expenditure and the day-to-day involvement of someone like Josh Kroenke, both of, there's been an uptick in both of those things since that point. Um, I still think that the nature of KSC is that they're sort of very uh, dependent on making the right appointments, essentially. They do put a great deal of trust in the people they choose to run the club. And they're, you know, if you get that right, it's great. And if you get it wrong, it's not. Um, mm. It feels like there is a good chemistry among the kind of executive team now. 
Um, they're a young group. They want to prove themselves. Uh, and crucially, I mean, I'm not sure if KSE have improved or we've just got a manager who's very good at managing upwards because I think it's really healthy that the owners seem to really buy into Arteta um, because I, I think that that creates sort of leverage for him in conversations about transfers and squad building and things like that. Mm. And and I think that, um, yeah, I, I would say that they are more engaged and they are, yeah, I, I guess performing slightly better as owners, but I think it's also about the chemistry that exists between them and, and the executive group, including the manager in that. And that the fact that that relationship seems positive and healthy is a positive and healthy thing for the club. I mean, you have to remember Arsenal is a club that where it's been sort of beset by essentially civil war for a long time. Um, I don't like using war terminology, but I, I mean, in terms of the kind of the, the unrest between Usmanov and Kroenke, that's an incredibly unhealthy thing for a club. And then also in the latter years of Arsene Wenger, I don't think there was a unified sense from the board or the executives that everyone was pulling in the same direction and everybody knew where the club was headed at that time. And I think there is much more of a semblance of that at this point. I just don't quite know how to apportion the credit for it. Sure. What, I mean. what do you think? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I have to think that they they learned from the post-arson uh, stuff that went on where maybe the decision-making was, was not as good as it should have been. You know, mm. we, we, we talked about it, but, you know, when, you, when you're looking to replace not just someone like Arsene Wenger, but also your longstanding chief executive, do you just go to the next guy? Mm -hmm. I don't think you do. I think you've got to be better than that. You've got to be smarter than that. And I think that... that yeah. You it, didn't give Steve Bold the manager at Giro job. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. that kind of rigor should be applied. Yeah. And I think that has been, that is something that has been missing at executive level for, you know, for a while. And um, you've got to find that balance between their involvement and them making sure that the people who are involved know what they're doing mm -hmm. um, and are the best possible people. Because like you wouldn't say, Roman Abramovich, this is a terrible example, obviously, given everything that's going on, but Roman Abramovich wasn't a football guy, but he got the best football people he could find at executive level. He kept them around for a long time. Yeah. Um, and I'm not I mean, sure. Yeah, Marina Granovskaya, you know, was incredibly influential at that club. I'm not sure if she's staying post -taker. I, I don't, I I don't quite is. know what's happening. Um, but what, yeah, he had what, his people, right? What, Bruce Buck, who he'd worked with for many yeah. years, Granovskaya. Exactly. And, and I think... One of the interesting developments uh, in recent years with the Cronkies is, you know, the appointment of Tim Lewis. I do think that mm. is quite a interesting development because he's very much their guy and he's in a very influential uh, position at Arsenal right now. And I just think that kind of direct line, again, is probably on balance a beneficial thing and, and sort of yeah seems to be helping with things like oversight 
from an ownership level, you know? Yeah, I mean, they were hands-off with Arsene Wenger because he had a track record of success. And, mm-hmm. he'd a, you know, he, he had a profile and a, a status within Arsenal Football Club that, in many ways, just sort of demanded that. Whether that was the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do, that's, you know, that's up to every individual listening to this. But you can understand why it happened. But that approach then subsequently was not good. You know, just to sort of go, well, I even said that Ryle's a good guy. We should, you know, we should go with that. I don't think that is the right way, particularly at a time when the football club was in a period of flux anyway, um, which happens when you lose a a sort of longstanding manager like Wenger. I think you really have to sit down and strategize. And that, I suppose, is one of the most encouraging things of the last 18 months or so, where it feels like even... Even if some of the decisions um, made during Mikel Arteta's tenure weren't always up to scratch, you always felt like he was focused on improvement at every level. Um, mm-hmm. Did he get everything right? No. But at the heart of it, that's what he said he wanted and that's what he was trying to do. So you had that at the as sort of like the building blocks of where you wanted to go. Um People wanted more engagement and more input from them. They've got some more of that. Um, you know. I mean, the original question, I think, said, you know, is this all kind of um, appeasement for the Super League? And, and listen, I'm sure there's an element of that. And I've said this all along, but I think I think that the Amazon documentary, for example, I'd be amazed if, if Josh... Cronky is not positioned <laughs> very positively within that. And, mm. you know, and and much like the interviews he gave at the start of the season, there's a lot of talk to try and repair some of the damage that was done, um, which I mean, for some people is completely unforgivable, the Super League. And, sure. I, and I hear that, you know. Yeah, I mean, he does, he does talk well, to be fair. He comes across... Um, I would say he comes across like a guy who's trying to mend some fences. You know what I mean? When he yeah. talks about the club. And like, why shouldn't he come across like that? Because he should, you know? But um, I think they were genuinely shocked, actually. And I think the uh, at the scale of the response. And I think the fact that they were genuinely shocked, unfortunately, slightly lays bare uh, a lack of kind of cultural appreciation of Arsenal as an institution and what it mm. means more broadly. But I, I think my sense is they were really taken aback and they did not anticipate that scale of displeasure and anger. And I think that might be true of all the owners, to be yeah. honest, because I think they've, over the years, they've been able to do whatever they want without a great deal of pushback or certainly not the concerted coordinated pushback that came from fans of all clubs who were involved in that went, no, fuck this. You know, that was really a powerful thing. And I know it's been, not that it's been overlooked, but I do wish that we could see a bit more of that in certain ways when it comes to football and when it comes to things like this, that, you know, we can hate you when we play you and we can hate you all season long. But at the end of the day, if they're trying to fuck you and they're trying to fuck me and they're trying to fuck that guy, if we all get together and, you know, don't let them or make it difficult for them to do that, then we all benefit from that. And I can still hate you and I can still hate you, but like together we've 
fucked off these loads. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? I imagine they were sort of sat there scratching their heads thinking, well, all you guys say you want Arsenal to win the biggest European competition. We were just trying to give you that forever. But it's still mm. such a, uh, what's the word? It's so misguided. Uh, yeah. I, and I think that there there is an element to which they, you know, accept there's sort of reparations to be made after that. But also it is their business. It is their investment. It is their money ultimately. Um, and they they want to make the best of it. What, what, what the extent of their ambition is, I think is a difficult thing to be yeah. sure of. That's going to yeah. be really interesting. I yeah. think this is a like very how far do they want to go? Yeah, you know? how how like genuinely how committed are you to competing with Man City with what Newcastle I mean, could potentially not, not, become? Surely not committed to competing with Saudi Arabia. I mean, I I know, but like, what do you do then? Like, yeah. what what is what is your approach? Do you just say, well, we're never going to be able to compete on a financial level, but that doesn't mean you can't bridge the gap, or or you know. And we, we've talked about the Liverpool thing. I think we spoke about that last week as well, mm-hmm. where if you do get things right, if you do get the right players, if you do get the right manager, you know, you can, by most measures, achieve... Here we go back again, trying to redefine success and what have you. But, like, isn't the thing that people say, you know, if we're competitive, if we're competing... If we get to the business end of the season and we're in with a shout and we just fall short, then as frustrating as that would be, you know, at least we were there. We were, you know, we did our best. Can't win them all, all that kind of stuff. Like, I know we all want to win. I know we all want to see the Premier League lifted again. I get that. But really, isn't it about um, being competitive on a consistent basis and, and making sure that you're involved in the conversations for the biggest trophies. And then how you do that, I don't know what what I don't know what you do as an ownership. Um I mean they are billionaires at the end of the day, so uh Yeah, sure. I mean they're not short of a, a bob or two. I guess you're right. I think, you know, even if from a kind of financial economic perspective the aim is well, stay in major European competitions and pick up those revenues. sounds horrible but um you can't really aim for that as in you've sort of got to shoot higher than that if that's going to be your consistent Mm. bread and butter you know yeah you got to aim higher than that and got to aim for the stars miss and hit the moon basically right right um do we have another couple i'm sure we do oh yeah i've got one okay We've done a lot of sort of should they stay or should they go about loan players, but um, Shazwan on the Discord says, should Nuno go on loan? Um, I could see how it would be beneficial. I mean, do we know enough about Nuno yet? My feeling about Nuno is I still... I'm still I still don't really know. I have a gut what we've got. I agree, but I sort of have a gut feeling that that I kind of know. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I don't I'm yeah. not trying to be um yeah. disparaging. I just I just, you know, I've seen some things 
Like, I think yeah. there are some positive aspects to his game, but I think there's a sort of... There are some flaws there that, like, I hope they can iron out on the training ground. It would be great if they could because he's a great athlete, isn't he? He's, you know, very physically imposing. He's quick. He gets forward. I mean, he can't shoot for shit, but he does give it a good try, to be fair. He gets himself in some good positions. Uh, he gave I, a good interview, by the way. I don't know if you saw that. I did um, see bits and pieces of it. I didn't see the whole thing, uh, but I did see some bits and pieces. And, uh, yeah, I think he the bit I saw, he was talking about how his confidence during the season took a big hit. And I do wonder if, you know, we were talking about experience earlier and how beneficial is experience. How beneficial is confidence? Or how yeah. detrimental is a lack of confidence for a player? And I think the answer is quite detrimental indeed, you know? So with Europa League group stage and with cup games and everything else, you know, unless the whole... Tielemans, Shaka, Zinchenko, House of Cards comes to pass, then, you know, why not keep him? Why not keep him and give him those games and see what he can do and give him more time? And if you're in a position where in January you're thinking, well, this hasn't gone the way we want or he hasn't quite made the progress we want, you've got the ability to do something that month. Yeah, I think that's absolutely it. I think keep him until January. Um yeah, I reported they're considering a loan. It's certainly something they've discussed for him and that it might be the best thing for his development. But I do wonder if that will be mm. held until January. That's what I would do. Um, I think there's a good opportunity for him to pick up minutes. And I think I think we just about do need to see some more minutes. We've seen some really good stuff and some really bad stuff. And... I think I just need like a, a bit more time to kind of gauge which of those is the dominant force. Yeah, I mean, you could see a little less good stuff, a little less bad stuff, and something more in the middle, you know, in yeah. terms of consistency yeah. of performance and, and what have you. I mean, there are, there are definitely some ingredients there. I just don't know how they all go together. If they If they can come well, together and cook up a delicious Nuno meal, you know? And it may come down to that aspect of intelligence that we were talking about in part one, was it? Or a start of part two, rather. You know, does he have the tools mm. to kind of synthesize his experience and improve accordingly? And does he have the the support around him, the coaching around him to help him do that? Yeah. Um, that's going to be the, the, the challenge. Let's see. Okay, we've got one here from the Discord from Stuart, and this is quite interesting because there was talk about um, – story about Mike Riley last week, who's the head of the PGMOL. And he said, uh, any optimism that the quality and standards of refereeing will improve next season, or will we still endure the tedium of inconsistency, bias, incompetence, baffling decisions being played by cheats and England captains, etc., etc.? And like, you know, I, 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 I have had my struggles with VAR, and some of the decisions made at Premier League level that I wasn't convinced were happening elsewhere. But we talked about the playoff final last week, remember, mm -hmm. and the penalties that, that Huddersfield didn't get. The one that Ukraine didn't get against yeah, Wales? Wow. What the fuck is going on with that? How is that even possible in a VAR era? I don't, I don't get it. it yeah. It does seem strange if you're going to have the technology for precisely those situations, kind of absurd that mm. it's not applied correctly. 
Um, I mean, look, it's not my favourite topic, referees, but I, I, I don't, I, I couldn't say with any confidence that I think performances will improve. I don't know what uh, basis there is to believe that. Experience, I guess, Andrew. Well, they're gone. All these referees are going to be more experienced. No, all season. the experienced ones are gone. John Moss is gone. Mike Dean is gone. Who's the other one? There's well, maybe one. that's good. Maybe we'll get some elite refereeing talent through instead. They just needed a break. They just needed, you know, those guys to step out of the way. They can. The Willian referees have all been <laughs> shuffled off the refereeing coil and uh, the Bukayo Sackers are about to break through. Yeah. I'd love to believe that. I mean, I would love to see some significant change at PGMOL. I really would. Um, what would that look like? Well, getting firing Mike Riley for a sure. start. Um because he's been there too long and, you know, this is basically his own personal fiefdom. Um, it's like a firm, isn't it? You know, like there's been a lot of talk about the royal family in this country this weekend and uh, there's that old saying, like, don't mess with the firm. And that's what the PGMOL the is like. Don't mess with the foim. Yeah, it, it feels like they... <sighs> it's a closed shop. They close ranks, yeah. essentially. They're like, the, think- they're like the cops in a way. Yeah. In a funny kind of way, they are. And I think um, the answer is for the kind of officiating discussion to be slightly more open and collaborative Mm. and working towards this idea of we accept mistakes happen and there's a human element and there will always be um, flaws and... but, But, you know, I don't know, something more collaborative that involved other football bodies or... Yeah, there's got to be a better way. Yeah, I mean, I think a point that people make quite often is the lack of diversity in the refereeing pool. Yeah. A lot of guys from the the Northwest. I also think age as well, Andrew. Like, why is it that an elite athlete is at his peak at sort of 26, but we expect referees to be running around in their 40s doing this job? I don't know. I, I guess there's, a, there's an element of experience yeah experience but sort of seniority like that person Mm. of authority like i don't know sometimes i walk down the street here in dublin and you see you see some um young guardy the the police here and you see them walking down the road and they're like you're like this is a child this person is a child and they have the power to arrest me you know whatever it is i i do think there is something to that that little bit of age difference whether it gets I mean I don't know that it makes any big difference to a player I think if if a referee was a good referee and respected by the players it wouldn't matter what age he was but I wonder how you sell that role to young guys who a could be playing still or you know are Mm. yeah maybe it's it's a it's a career path that I think is is a difficult one to tread because like let's say you're a 26 28 year old guy and you decide to become a referee and you get through the process and you all of a sudden you're a Premier League referee I mean I think there is an element of you know you're on television every week and there's you know close-ups of you and like all of a sudden 60,000 people want to kill you because you've yeah. made a decision. I think there's, those are things that are a little There aren't bit... many loved referees. No. 
No. But, I mean, I think you can probably incentivize the work to the point where that isn't quite as big a factor. And I do wonder if, you know, maybe if you paid them better, if you had more diversity, if there was more accountability, if there was greater transparency in the the whole refereeing process, I think you could build more faith with football fans that these guys aren't just fucking making it up on the spot and changing their minds on things from week to week to week. And that is, you know, the thing that drives people mad. You know, decisions are made and we never get an explanation. And the next week something happens and it's a completely different decision and we never get an explanation. Um, So I do think there are things that they could do to improve, but certainly changing some of the people who are there at the moment who have presided over a consistent decline in the standards of refereeing even with the application of technology which is designed specifically to help them get more decisions right would be a very good start i agree that would be nice um i think that's it yeah, I think that's it. We've set the world to rights, Andrew. Exactly, exactly. We've got to get this out for the people to listen to, given that it is out later than usual. So uh, apologies for that. Hopefully it was worth the wait. Join myself and James uh, during the week for The Waffle over on Patreon, and we will catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.